This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. Well, and that is um, a good point. Uncertainty and doubt are not the same thing, actually. Doubt is a solidification of uncertainty. You start to go like, I don't know, you know. Uncertainty is, I don't know. And doubt is, I don't know. What's interesting, I, in, in my, you know, anecdotal experience as a human, we have a, we don't like to sit in uncertainty, but doubt lingers. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, no, that's that's really well said, Michael. That's, um, you know, one of my teachers, Satan, says embrace uncertainty. Also, he gave um, a formula once for a broth fast, you know, for 24 hours of broth fast or longer if you want to do it. And the instructions after making the broth and it is meditate on the hunger. I love that because the one thing we don't do with experiences, as you said, like uncertainty, hunger is actually become more familiar with the feeling without trying to fix it. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck podcast on the Be Here Now Network. My name is Michael Cammers, your host, producer, and sometimes podkick, and I am improvising this introduction, and I am throwing uncertainty and doubt out the window with loving kindness and just taking the leap into this intro. So it's on the theme of our episode, as you heard um, in that little poll quote from the beginning. I'm also the producer of the podcast, so I decided, why don't I put a poll quote in with David saying, I'm making a very good point. And that's just one example of even a little bit of power corrupting. And we do also talk about dictators in this episode, so it felt appropriate. But all joking aside, thank you for listening. This is the Creativity, Spirituality, Making a Buck podcast based on the book of the same name by our host, David Nickturn, who is a senior Buddhist teacher, musician, and entrepreneur. And on the podcast, we talk about weaving the three threads of creativity, spirituality, and right livelihood together into a rich and wholesome life. This episode episode is entitled A Buddhist View, which uh, if you have been a fan of the podcast, which we appreciate, we have had a name change of our David's View episodes. So this episode is A Buddhist View, and um, I listened back, and I think I'm pretty proud of this one. I know I'm pretty proud of this one. Very grateful to be in conversation with David of this nature. I think we really locked in here, and... um, some pretty juicy stuff came up. So I'm going to end the intro now. We'd like to thank Be Here Now Network for having us, and we encourage everybody to go to 
BeHereNowNetwork.com. And also, uh, if you like what David and I are talking about, please head over to DharmaMoon.com to check out our upcoming programming. We've got a mindfulness meditation teaching, mindfulness meditation teacher training, and plenty of other great stuff for you to check out. So, without further ado, a Buddhist view. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck podcast on the Be Here Now Network with David Nickturn. My name is Michael Cammers your host, and David's podkick for our David's View episodes. And today, David and I will be discussing doubt. And I don't know. I don't know if, I, I don't know if we can do it, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. The adjective lingering doubt. Oh, Juicy. Yeah, doubt seems to linger longer. It's like you invited somebody over and they won't go home, you know, and it's sort of everybody's looking at their watches and going, you know, it's time to move on here and get to the next thing. And so the lingering quality of doubt is that you're haunted by doubt. It's not a really, um, the way I was taught about doubt is you could use it as a stepping stone. It's a perfectly valid experience of like assessing further, using further prajna, trying to discern what's happening in the situation. It's the hallmark of that. But then it just stays way too long. It just, it lingers. So um, the idea of doubt um, in itself maybe is not unhealthy. Uh, it could be an aspect of critical intelligence, right? And then you just get stuck in, 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 in some of the teachings called the trap of doubt. It becomes a trap, um, like a quicksand. Mm -hmm. And you're just slowly going down with it, not able to liberate yourself uh, either way. By Usually it's about, do I want to engage this situation further or do I want to move away from it? And you get stuck in orbit, basically. You don't achieve escape velocity and you don't land. I think it's interesting some of the, and the anatomy of what you just laid out, there was, there was lingering, but there's also inviting. Mm -hmm. Like why, like, why are we inviting doubts? You know, mm -hmm. is that, is that, is that our, has that become a habit? Mm -hmm. um, is that part of it lingering? What if we're not inviting it and it's lingering? Well, and then you'd have to follow through um, on your tennis swing here. And the follow through, through would be, uh, are we repressing doubt? Or right? ignoring, yeah. Or ignoring something. So, uh, I, and a lot of times in communities, um, doubt is not encouraged preemptively. And that becomes, um, you know, um, cult-like or, or um, uh, in the sociopolitical arena that becomes propaganda where, you know, um, when we want to know what you think, we'll tell you what do you think, <laughs> which is obviously really unhealthy. Um, uh, maybe it's a toss up whether that's, I'd, I'd have to say that they're both unhealthy where, where that you repress the doubts that you might have, or when you linger with them uh, um, and, and, you know, get stuck, stuck in the trap of doubt for too long a period of time. 
so it, what what's the middle way there is yeah w- l- like let's let it come up let's hear it um is there any protocol is there any decorum for addressing doubt within a community within a relationship mm. um you know i think i keep coming back to you know uh, our last talk on passion and the human realm if you're engaged in a relationship most people i know have periods of doubt about being involved with it right even married people especially married people uh, they go i don't know if i should keep doing this or not you know and it's it becomes like you never really vetted the concerns that you have with the other person fairly and equitably and transparently and you can't get it together to leave <laughs> in, in, in my experience like that i i was in a marriage for some time not not going to get into great detail but um it led to me not being honest with myself mm. because i wasn't really honoring the doubt and the fear i feel mm. like fear and doubt are related mm. and actually this this topic was suggested by our program director rebecca thank you um, and it was fear and doubt. So when in, mm. that, in that relationship, I was so afraid of it ending, even though it was unhealthy and the relationship was like, wasn't really even a relationship at that point, but I couldn't acknowledge reality. I was afraid to. And, and that kept me, I was stuck in the trap. Like you're saying, I was stuck. Yeah. In the trap. And it led to a lot of suffering. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And I think this is true also for, um, uh, tribes and cultures and uh, schools and so forth. And uh, it's certainly a powerful issue uh, currently in the uh, advent of uh, traditional Asian spiritual models coming to the West. And I think that's probably what part of what Beck was probably, uh, you know, hoping that we all could address. If there's, um, loyalty devotion um what in a context in which there's a lot of processing going on a lot of training going on you know meditative training martial arts training life training life coaching you you could say how do you deal with a because this is another issue that came up having a teacher mentor guide and then doubts about that relationship are going to be part of that relationship so um i would say in my humble estimation in the older uh, asian traditions not to generalize too much the notion of doubt is sublimated uh to some extent to the notion of devotion and surrender and uh, particularly in the vajrayana traditions that are classical uh there's uh, and the ones that have become more institutionalized the notion of surrender and devotion and kind of um, not not caving into every doubt or, or fear that you have about going further. But if we look back further uh, into the root of the Vajrayana tradition, and I, I think right away of Tilopa and Naropa, who are, you know, our forefathers, founders of this particular lineage of the Kagyu lineage of Tibetan Buddhism, Doubt played such a big role for uh, Naropa in that relationship. Uh, and it, it became a kind of catalyst for a very rapidly evolving, edgy situation between teacher and student in which you could say Tilopa was um, 
working with, using as a foil Naropa's own doubt about his own wisdom and his own experience, mm. and and putting him in situations in which that would become highlighted, crescendo. I can I can say personally that was a part of the way I was trained. You put in a situation which it's highlighted, crystallized, and the and the um, uh, you're being encouraged not to deny it, not to repress it, but you're also not you're being squeezed in a way to not linger in it. Um, and uh, that is, you know, kind of a powerful device. But in situations in which the teacher becomes, um, if the teacher is not very refined in terms of working with those kind of energies, and um, if the situation becomes toxic in some sense, and all we mean by that is um, the teacher is not fully cooked. So the teacher has some ego clingings left and they get transferred over into the being in the role of a teacher. Um, and we've seen a number of crash and burns among very good teachers, even in the West and probably in the East also, where the person had a certain amount of training, had a certain amount of understanding, but there was a kind of unexplored shadow side to being a guide, being a teacher and needing too much recognition, too much, you know, um, acknowledgement. And it's a really powerful warning um, at connecting that how you work with doubt of the, on, on the student's part. Um, and what's, what is the engine in it, the potential of it for greater clarification and what's the toxic part, the lingering part. Well, uh, you know, you've got Manjushri behind you. So <laughs> we talk about, we talk about discernment and action, right? Yeah. So, discerning yeah. was what, and then. You know, combining compassion and discernment into skillful means, but it gets complicated and and blurry. Sometimes things aren't clear, right? So there's also yeah. uncertainty. You know. Yeah. Well, and that is um, a good point. Uncertainty and doubt are not the same thing, actually. Doubt is a solidification of uncertainty. You start to go like, I don't know. You know, uncertainty is I don't know. And doubt is, I don't know. Well, it's interesting. I, in, in my, you know, anecdotal experience as a human, we have a, we don't like to sit in uncertainty, but doubt lingers. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's really well said, Michael. That's, um, you know, one of my teachers, Satan says, embrace uncertainty. And, uh, also, he gave um, he gave a formula once for a um, broth fast, you know, for 24 hours, a broth fast or longer if you want to do it. And hunger comes up. Anybody who's done any kind of fasting knows that you get hungry at a certain point and, and, and it kind of gets kind of uh, edgy. And then it sort of subsides at a certain point. Then people don't really want to eat much. And then um, you purify whatever was in your system is going to come through. But um, one of the instructions on his, how to make, uh, I think he called it Hans broth, you know, um, one in the instructions after ma making the broth and eating it periodically is meditate on the hunger. I love that because the one thing we don't do with experiences, as you said, like uncertainty, hunger uh, is actually, 
become more familiar with the feeling without trying to fix it. Isn't that what meditation is? Basically, you become familiar with the feeling without trying to fix it. Everybody out there, we're offering, Michael and I are offering that as one part, one definition of meditation, becoming familiar with the experience rather than trying to fix it. Would you agree, Mike? Yeah. And I would also say that in doing that process, we also encourage gentleness mm-hmm. around the practice because mm-hmm. um, these things sort of become like layered, like an onion, right? Like we start, we, we've talked about doubt, we've talked about fear, we've talked about uncertainty and how we don't just become familiar with them, right? So whatever the outer edge is, you're going to experience when we're sitting and in our experience. And we also say, you know, put put that in the cradle of loving kindness Mm. that that cradle of loving kindness seems to be what in my experience allows us to transform or transmute through that becoming familiar right so we said don't but we're not trying to fix it at the same time right it's interesting like we went from not trying to fix it into transmutation via uh the cradle of loving kindness and becoming familiar in meditation And how that marries with discipline is a really intriguing thing because uh, you could take not trying to fix it with um, meaning, uh, you know, let it, let it rot, let it lay fallow. Um, And uh, there is another aspect of meditation, which you are cleaning up some sloppy habits um, and exerting discipline in an area where there hasn't been, even if it's the discipline of letting go. Uh, even, and now that's a tricky thing to talk about, but it's true. And you talked about the discipline of being gentle, um, which you could say, well, how do you be more gentle? That's, uh, you know, a conundrum for, for, for somebody. Well, how, how would you say, if you said to somebody, look, you know, you're a meditation teacher now, if you, one of your students said it's being too hard on themselves, how do you communicate to somebody? Well, this process, you need to bring more gentleness to the whole process. How would you say that? Yeah. What do I do? I'm, I want to, Mike. I want to be more gentle. But I've got this voice in my head that's so harsh, you know? Yeah. I can, we can, I can relate to that. <laughs> and I think it's a part of the human condition. And uh, through this practice, people have worked with that for a very long time. And the very simple instruction on one level, as we're sitting, we take our seat. So gentleness can start with letting go of our tension. They're related, right? Like really come into your body, feel your body on the earth, and just take a moment and know that you're sitting and settle in. And then the next step is we place our attention on the breath, right? And it's a soft, gentle, open awareness, right? We're not clamping down on the breath. We're just being with it as it is. And then you get to the third instruction, and in our lineage, when we notice our mind has wandered, we label our thought thinking and we return our attention to the breath. And now, when we label our thought thinking, we can notice the quality. And we're going to have a lot of opportunities to practice the quality of how we label our thought thinking. Mm-hmm. Thinking, oh! Mm-hmm. You know? Or is it thinking? Mm-hmm. that takes practice and that you get to the the discipline and when you return your attention to the breath we're also letting go of am i doing this right am i doing this wrong 
And you just, that's thinking, and you just come back over and over again. And in that way, we're actually reversing this habitual pattern. We're letting go of the thought, and we're just placing our attention over and over again. And eventually, we may find that we've cultivated a little gentleness for ourselves. <clears throat> this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash be here now. I think um, men need to cry more. I cry a lot when I meditate. Do you? You, you do? You cry? Because yeah. some men have been taught not to cry. It's not cool, you know? Oh, God. That is a cultural thing that, you know, not uh, with love and compassion and respect to the, the, you know, previously we talked about a bubble, the bubbles that we come from. You know, we may, we have to unlearn unhealthy things in our relationship. Mm. Our, you know, so if you're feeling fear and doubt, and then you can't even allow yourself to yeah. cry or process the emotion. Now we have a limiter on our on our energetic state of being. So, you know, they say even tyrants have the bodhicitta. You know, the soft side. So I'm trying to think. You know, we're in the jaws of the dragon these days with tyrants on Earth. There's a strong energy of, you know, I've said this many times, jealous God, domination of the process here. Um, pa very powerful individuals, almost exclusively male, um, older. Um, you know, it'd be easy to just say it's just pure toxicity, but um, there's probably, if you looked closer, some kind of uh, effectiveness or, or, you know, something getting done, even if it's a kind of confused agenda, um, there's a sort of action oriented kind of quality that we can't just completely ignore. We have to be action oriented. But when you look at that tyrannical mind, a tyrannical approach, you, you do see, according to the Buddhist teachings, the way I said it, you will see a crack even in the worst tyrant in the world. That's what uh, Rinpoche used to say about basic goodness. We'd say, well, what about this one or with that one, or Mao or Hitler or whoever? And the perspective was that even somebody in that kind of fixation, that powerful level of fixation, can be touched. You know, and uh, I, I saw a, mo a moment as distorted and screwed up as it was with Putin and the head of the Russian Orthodox Church. And I looked at the face of Putin in that, and that was not a tyrant's face. That was actually 
believers, there was, I know people would say, oh, he's just manipulating that situation. But as far as what I thought I saw, there was a kind of softness and a kind of uh, vulnerability that you don't usually see. And you could think of that with, um, with, uh, Trump, you know, or, or anybody else that you associate with that kind of um, alpha male, tyrannical, you know, can, can never be wrong, can never say I'm sorry, um, can never change course, withdraw, apologize, um, back, back off. Imagine if somebody like that just in public just said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for that. I, I, I made a mistake here. I was trying to do a good thing. But I, I misapprehended the situation. And if you need somebody else to govern in my place, that's okay. Uh, because I'm trying to do a good thing here. I'm trying to, for, for, I have some benefit in mind. But I don't think this was right to go in and um, destroy a whole fucking country in order to, to manifest my vision. There must have been another way. Or some piece of that. Some piece that, I guess this is off topic of doubt. Um, well, if a leader in our environment, as, yeah. a, as a leader, and we're talking about fear and doubt, perhaps in this sort of framework, I, I haven't been a tyrannical leader of a country. I've been a leader of a big band for 20 years. And maybe I think when I was younger, I was more tyrannical, right? So mm -hmm. this, this seed of bodhicitta is in all beings, all sentient beings, and in, in, in our view as Buddhists, which we're, or this hypothesis that we're exploring, as well as the potential for the jealous God of paranoia mm. and clinging to power. Mm. And, um, interestingly, in the Wheel of Life, I recently found out that the jealous God realm, they're tending to the roots of a tree, and it's growing, and, mm. and it's flowering in the God realm or in the, so, and they can't, but they can't eat the fruit, but they're tending to it. Right. They, wow. Right. That's they're like, so, I mean, the, in that realm, they're tending to something with care. And even if psychologically, they don't think that they're getting the fruits, but I'm trying to bring it back to doubt. So mm -hmm. uh, perhaps part of that fear and doubt is if we, if we're afraid to be vulnerable or to admit a mistake because mm, of mm. doubt, then we maybe don't think that other people will believe in us. They'll believe in our vision or we'll lose power. We'll lose the fruit. There mm. <laughs> yeah. So there's a duality of um, doubt and, and, and getting something accomplished. Because when you get trapped in doubt, you don't get it done, whatever it is. Um, and particularly self-doubt is like a rotting fruit. It, it's a tomato on the vine too long, it just starts to rot. And I see that so much that so many people are afflicted with self-doubt. There was a song, I don't remember the song, but what makes us feel so wrong inside when we might just as well be right? It was a lyric from a song. Maybe somebody can track what it is and apologies to the composer and uh, songwriter. What makes us feel so wrong? So we, we might as, just as well be right. And it seems like um, you would also have to, Mike, you'd have to look at the flip side of doubt, which is arrogance, right? You'd have to go there. 
Let's go middle way. Let's middle way this thing. (laughs) (laughs) I've looked at doubt from both sides now. Um, And arrogance being, you know, doubt is stomped. It's not stepped on as a stepping stone. It's stomped on as a, as a pernicious uh, obstacle that you don't want to linger, you know, even for a moment on the texture of it. So um, those seem to be, it's interesting in, in some of the teachings we studied that doubt and arrogance are set up as um, counterpoint to each other. <clears throat> but we got to get things done in this world. That's the thing that I think has to be acknowledged. We can't just talk. We have to get some things done. You have to act. Yeah, so action is really, um, also doubt tends to trap you in talk. And contemplation. And so when it's time for somebody to do something, you know, sometimes that is a person who stomps on doubt and just says, we're go- look, we're going ahead. We got to do something. We have to move forward. Let's get it done. And those, that energy is valuable. I don't think we should throw that baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, when I talk, when I speak of myself, especially younger, as a younger band leader and musician, um, a lot of what I was doing was stepping on that doubt and just bypassing it with a <laughs> into that space, you know, and like a lot, a lot did happen. Yeah, right. But you know, when I look back, and we need to have empathy for our past selves, like, you know, having had this practice and, and a little more experience in life it's like and this cradle of loving kindness to put those experiences in by because i was doing too much right so we need we dooby dooby do like your your fun frank sinatra riff it seems like if we just act Mm. and we never reflect then we can really get caught in destructive cycles like a dictator like i was a little dictator (laughs) and right uh, yeah. You know, in finding a more balanced life where I could step out of acting, even if it's 20 minutes a day in my own space and just experience this being and becoming familiar and cultivating that gentleness and precision in our actions in the world, we can bring that same gentleness and precision into our actions and potentially walk that middle way between doubt and aggression into skillful action. Yeah. Is your band still playing again? Well, my band, you're speaking of the MK Groove Orchestra, which is our 20th year this year. We're going to have an album coming out on Rope-A-Dope Records, which I have no doubt you will enjoy listening to. It's called MKGO 20, and we are also performing at the McKittrick Hotel again and around New York City, I'm very happy to report. Wow. <laughs> uh, it's fun, ladies and gentlemen, and folks and friends of all persuasions. Go if you're in the New York area. What is it, every Friday night? The um our weekly residency has has not returned yet. Um we're working on that post COVID. Uh well, you know, obviously we're still mid COVID, but right. post shutdown uh with the venue and uh we are, you know, yeah, we're we're like 
smaller versions of the band are playing brunch now, which is which is a great livelihood and um yeah. context. But it's not the same as that, you know, the real performance with the full big band every week. And where can people find out about this, Mike? On your website? MKMKMK.com. That's three MKs. Oh, that might be one too many. Yeah, or follow me at MK4President on Instagram, MKFOR President. Okay, well, we've given you a good plug there. <laughs> Thank you. And, uh, um, you know, proclaiming, um, I think there is a distinction between proclaiming some kind of action in the world and uh, needing and becoming too attached to the outcome. So I'd like to throw one out there, lady. Ladies and gentlemen, I keep saying ladies and gentlemen because that's a very show business thing. It's not really good appellations anymore. I'm not sure what wraparound phrase to use. Friends, how about that? So friends, if you're in New York City on June 14th, the Dharma Moon Orchestra, can you believe that? The Dharma Moon Orchestra premiere performance at the Cutting Room. So I'm going to throw that one and mix it in with Michael's. Let's get together, um, everybody, when we can and say hello. If you're if you're one of the people who is tuning into. Uh, our Dharma Moon World through this podcast, and you do encounter us and come physically, you have to say hello. It's not optional. You have to come up and introduce yourself and say hello. Um, doubt is um, a really interesting topic. It's, uh, I remember one, doubt as to whether wisdom exists within one. Mm. You know, I have like, one of the things about learning sadhanas and things like that is that you cough up phrases from it periodically. Um, doubt as to whether wisdom exists within one. That probably is something we can safely say to our friends here. Wisdom does exist within us. And uh, you could also argue that the job of living is to uncover it and to share it uh, and that we will make mistakes along the way. Uh, and, and, other people will learn from our mistakes, interestingly enough. So um, I can't arrive at a portrait of human life that does not include mistakes being made along the way and purified and acknowledged uh, or acknowledged and purified in that order. Um, I don't know of a human world in which that's not the case. I try to, when I'm working with students in meditation, always leave room for human dimension falling in love is not a crime uh, making mistakes is not a crime but once we solidify and linger um in those mistakes and 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 create a kind of um solid sense of identity in denying them um then we we're gonna we're gonna suffer unnecessarily so thanks again mike for um pod kicking and um um thanks back for the uh, suggestion for the topic and we'll see you all again soon thank you everyone be well we'd like to thank you for being our friend oh how we wish that our time here would never end but all conditioned things that arise must also cease in the buddhist view including me and you and
this episode has reached its conclusion. We'd like to thank you and be here now. Networking everyone there and all they do. So we must direct you to their website. It's one of my duties. And so www.behearenownetwork.com Yeah. And if you're still on the internet, ride those waves over to www.dharmamoon.com and meet us there in community. We'd like to thank you one last time at the end of this episode. May you be safe, may you be healthy, may you be happy and at ease. May you be safe, may you be healthy, all the best. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.